And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And welcome to Front End Nationwide. This is episode seven already. It's the Athletics CBJ dedicated podcast. I am Aaron Portsign, joined by Allison Lucan. Allison, say hello. Hello. I'd asked Tom Reed to say hello, but I think he just kind of put his laptop down after a long night of writing. He was up in Cleveland with the Cleveland Browns, who celebrated a oh my god, a victory. <laughs> Unbelievable. It's amazing, amazing. It, and as a lifelong Browns fan, that was great to see. Um, I mean, it's one win. It felt like a Super Bowl, didn't it? <laughs> it sure did. It's, and they were down early. I mean, I was like, if they find a way to lose this game. Right. So, good for them. And you know what's interesting to me is like, um, there, it's not a perfect comparison, but I think of where the, the, the Browns are at. And they've been at it longer, and it's, it's more heightened in the NFL because it's harder to be – continually bad in the NFL than it is in the in the NHL like you get immediate help from the draft and you don't right. get that at the NHL necessarily um but there have always been these comparisons the blue jackets are the browns on ice and and they've had stuff happen to them and they have they've also done stupid stuff the the blue jackets have that bring all of that on them um but the browns are in that spot now where i think the blue jackets have been a couple times i think like 06 07 perhaps, and maybe like in the 10, 11, 11, 12 range, where things are just so bad that any step you take in any direction, right? Feels good. It's just, oh, this is the fix, right? Right? Like there's no, <laughs> there's nothing you can do. Um, and all you can do is just sort of put your head down, hire the right people and trust that they're doing what's right. So good for the Browns. Uh, one, one, and one. 
it's like a hockey team up there in Cleveland. <laughs> um, hopefully they, they continue to have some fun up there. Well, last week we talked about uh, the Blue Jackets line, or last, it would be Tuesday, we talked about the Blue Jackets lines and the pairs and took a hardcore look at those. This week I want to look at the power play and the penalty kill in much the same fashion because I think it's a really important part of this of this team and and a real area where this team can be markedly better than they were last year where that could you know and and the big leagues a slight improvement makes a big change for them so uh, I want to get into that first just a couple of news and notes the Blue Jackets are at St Louis tonight uh, Sergei Bobrovsky will make his preseason debut this year. Not sure if he goes a period and a half or two periods. I'm guessing it's two periods, but we'll see. It's probably up to Sergei, uh, him being the number one guy. Um, Artemi Panarin, the other Russian of note here, did not take part in the scrimmage yesterday, uh, but did come onto the ice for practice afterward. That's a first in this preseason. So the next string um, that has hampered him since before the start of training camp that has caused many who watch this team closely to go, really? <laughs> uh, apparently that is that is getting better. Now, we've been told that the club has said this and the agent has said this, that he suffered the next strain doing pull-ups. I'll be honest, it's been a while since I've done pull-ups. <laughs> I don't remember your neck being a, a fulcrum of sorts in the process, um, but <clears throat> they both swear it, so we'll leave it at that. Um and he looks like he's getting close. So that's good news as well. Um, Ryan Murray got kicked in the yow the other <laughs> night and did not take part in the scrimmage. But he also uh, did skate on his own yesterday. So that appears to not be long term. I think those are mostly the news and notes. The Blue Jackets now have they knock off three preseason games in three days. They play the Blues tonight in St. Louis. They're at Pittsburgh tomorrow afternoon. Who do they have Sunday? Forgive my ignorance. Oh, gosh. I was just thinking the same thing. Let me pull it up here. Yeah, I mean, it might, it might be the Blues coming back, right? It is Sunday. It is the Blues coming back. That is correct. Blues coming back. So, and then I think after these three, it starts to get kind of serious. I think there's big cuts coming after those three games. And then I think the, the Blue Jackets start to take – a hard look at, at where they're at. I think they get down into the thirties probably after that. Yeah. Um, so, and then at that point too, they'll start looking hard at their special teams. Um, it's going to hard right now when you've got all these groups, um, you don't want to have a special teams practice with none of the people in the roles that they're going to fulfill. So uh, I'm led to believe that they're going to practice it quite a bit and that will probably start next week. Let's look as we often do at the power play first wrote a large piece um posted late last night it's up there now uh about the power play and what they've done with it huh it was last year allison are you an ian baker finch fan or uh, do you know who ian baker finch is the golfer i i do not follow the golf yeah well better for you but he is a australian golfer who in the early 1990s was one of the better golfers on tour uh, I think he had top 10 finishes in all four of the majors. He may have won the British Open early 90s. Anyways, he got to a point where his swing, uh, he just fell apart. Hmm. And his swing was so awful that other PGA Tour players 
when he would approach the driving range before a tournament, would just pick up their stuff and leave. Wow. They didn't want to watch him. They didn't want to look at him out of fear that it could happen to them. Right. And this sounds really serious, but that's what the Blue Jackets power play looked like at times. Last year, the first three months of the season, we were like, this is just awful. This is like, oh, my God, what are you doing? Awful. Uh, a cluelessness about it that was stunning, uh, that had to be psychological. Um, eight out of 87 at one point. Mm. At one point in mid-December, there were players in the league that had more power play goals than the Blue Jackets team did. <laughs> Patrick Liney and Philip Forsberg. Yeah, it was really incredible. What do you remember about that time? <laughs> and, yeah, and just, oh my, how can, you, how can you process it or how did you process it when you watched all that? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's funny. You and I were talking about this a little bit yesterday and, and I, the memories came rushing back of just even the inability to just enter the zone and stay in the zone and having to come out of the offensive zone, regroup, try that drop pass entry again. I just, that is, that is probably the thing that stuck with me the most was just not even being able to set up. I mean, let alone talk about why they couldn't score. It was just not even being able to get in there. And exactly like you said, just the disorganization of that was frustrating, right? Because you can, I think one can maybe not accept, but understand if, you know, if you're setting up and you're getting looks and you just can't get the puck past the goaltender or what, or their blocks or what have you, but they just couldn't even look like they were in any sort of formation or any sort of organization at all. And gosh, it was, I mean, it was frustrating for us. I can't imagine how frustrating it was for the players themselves. Yeah. Yeah. It just looked, I mean, it it looked like they were outmatched, which, and to Brad Larson's point yesterday, there are times where five on five, they would be flying. Right. The puck zipping all over the place and they'd have the man advantage. And of course, everybody in the building was like, "Can you decline right. penalty? <laughs> right. Right. Do you have to do this because things are going really well?" Um, and so, talking to Cam Atkinson and Nick Felina the last couple of days, they weren't certainly putting blame on Artemi Panarin, but they were saying that when Panarin arrived, of course, that dude's going to go in where that dude wants to play the right. left top half wall. He's that good, and so that prompted Wenberg to move over to the right side half wall taking cam atkinson's spot and it put cam atkinson in the middle which is is not an ideal spot for him right felino stayed down low and it just kind of err like it just didn't go and they kept they they did try some other things and in a a few cases injuries um forced them to try other things i've long wondered if they hadn't considered going back to a more standard setup and putting Wierenski and jones Mm. out there you got those two great power plays why are the two great defensemen why take one of your best players off the ice in an offensive situation for the better part of two minutes get them both out there and at times they did that but that was when Wenberg was injured and they essentially just played Wierenski in that spot right um so anyways the shift comes around the middle of December when Wenberg of all people uh goes net front Right. And Felino moves up to the center spot. And then that allows Atkinson to be back in his comfort zone. Now, Atkinson will shoot. He will shoot from that side of the ice, which is something they could not get Wenberg to do enough of. And then it started to work. And the rest of the season, the the power play was a top 
10 or 11 power play in the league, which is, you know, what you hope for, I suppose. Um, anyway, so talking to Brad Larson yesterday, I, they came, they like that. They feel like on some level they did figure out how this thing can work, but I don't think they are convinced that just putting those guys in those spots is what made the difference. And I don't know that they're, I, he said that they are not wedded to keeping those guys in all those spots. Now, Panarin's not moving. Let's just go around the horn. Panarin's right. not going to move. I think Wierenski will get a chance to unseat Seth Jones. Yeah. But Seth Jones did so well there. It's hard to imagine Atkinson not going back into that spot. But a guy I think could end up in the middle with Felino going down low is Bjorkstrand. Interesting. Who's kind of Gagne-like. Interesting. And and that's it's funny as as you were kind of outlining the situation from last year player by player and listen, I'm clearly not an NHL coach for a lot of reasons, but I appreciate the comments on adapting to Panarin, but I think it, it was figuring out that middle spot was yes. a huge part of why they were sputtering a bit on the power play and listening to Nick Felino talk about what that role is about and what it was about Sam Gagne's play that made that role successful and the importance of that role, finding the right person there, in my opinion, is arguably the most important personnel decision, if you will, out of all of this. Um, and I had not considered Bjorkstrand, and, and I, I, I could see that. That's a really interesting choice. I think that's a player that matches with or could match with the demands of the role, as, as Nick kind of talked to us about. Um, yeah. That's a look I'd like to see for sure. I had not thought about that. Uh, and and we I I think it's always good to just sort of humble yourself and ask the player. And I did this yesterday with with Felino. What is that job? Right. Exactly. Tell me what is that. I've been watching power plays forever. Tell me what that job does. And it is you're distributing for sure. You're sort of you're not holding on to the puck, puck right. long. Right. But you're sort of the um, there's probably a scientific explanation for this. But you're sort of the sun of which around which the the power play. Um, gravitates a bit, but it's it's so it's it's moving the puck around. But more importantly, and especially when the puck is up for grabs, retrieval time, it is playing a support role. Yes, and that and and nothing against Bjorkstrand, but maybe that's the part of it with him that I don't see as clearly as I would with Felino. Mm-hmm. Um, but the distribution part, I don't think, is any problem. Um, Thoughts there? Yeah, I mean, I I agree. I and I mentioned this to you. I was I, I was fortunate enough to listen in while you talked with Nick yesterday, and I think the other part of it that stuck out to me is the deception, if you will, that Gagne brought to that role. You know, Nick talked well, about he would look it would he would make it look like he was passing to the left and then kick it out to Cam, who had a wide open spot of ice to shoot from, yeah. and. <laughs> And, you know, again, no, no player is, this is not a better, worse thing, but I think that might be something Bjorkstrand might have a little more of, right? Yeah, so, for sure, for sure. so I, I, I'd like, that's, 
it's interesting. They both have strengths and it's, this is then where that cast of characters around them, what's the right chemistry, right? In terms of which of them is there and the strength that each one could bring to that role. Donye was a tricky dude. Yeah. He was. I'll never forget that pass in Dallas early in the season. Woo! (laughs) Unbelievable. Um, So, yeah, and, and, you know, to, to fill in maybe a blank from just a, a comment a second ago, the, the idea of support when the puck is, is being retrieved is that that center position sort of roves to the left, to the right, down low, and one of the corners as necessary when the puck is being retrieved so that who, who retrieves it has an outlet, has a safety valve, is not right. outnumbered. Because obviously the point of the power play is at some point to prove that you have a man advantage. Right. And and that's often the breakdowns is when it starts to really get rolling. Uh, Allison, we talked a little bit about this yesterday because uh, I, I pressed, I did my job, uh, <laughs> but Brad Larson was like, yeah, I'm not going to go there with, with what we came up with analytics wise. Cause that's just going to give away too many things. I said, okay, I'll get, I get it. But then he said, I'll give you this much. And he went through the, the best power plays in the league and said, we don't have, this we don't have that uh this is what they have and at some point i'm listening to it going oh he's saying centerman like he's saying we don't have line a or shifley but then i'm like well line a is not a center right you don't have ovechkin and oshi well neither one of those guys is center uh crosby malk and kessel first two are centers kucherov stamkos heaven um those are the best power plays in the league to his mind and the blue jacks don't have that guy i wonder if he just means otherworldly superstars that they have one of those guys and not two. Right. Is that, is it just that simple? And from what you puzzle together? Hmm. Yeah. I, I, you know, I, I don't, I don't know that it's that simple. I think that, and, and, you know, what we were just citing, I mean, Sam Gagne love the guy, but he's not yeah. a superstar player. Right. And, and he was no. a, a key that unlocked the door two totally. years ago. So, I don't know that it's that simple. And it, it's a tricky thing because as you just highlighted in your earlier point, like you have an extra guy on the ice. <laughs> this, should, yeah. this should not yeah. be this hard, <laughs> but um, I don't know that, I don't know that it is as simple as just add another high end talent to the mix. Yeah. I, I mean, you've got Seth Jones or Zach Wierenski out there as well. So That's, yeah, I mean, right. I mean, Columbus, we, we know this is not the, is not a team that's just drenched with superstars. That's why they went out and got Panarin. That's why they felt the need for Panarin. Right. But I do think the best teams maybe have a couple Panarins. Oh, for sure. For sure. Right. Um, although not many teams have Jones Warinski on the back end. A few do. Right. A few do. Uh, San Jose does now, for sure. <laughs> oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, and we talked about this a little bit because I was like, analytics on the power play, like, I understand what you can measure, and you went over some of these yesterday with me um, through a report that Eric Parnas, from, who's now with Colorado, the Avalanche, so he must know what he's talking about, um, sort of established with the power play. And it's, it's just out of zone time, time spent information. Um, it's sort of measuring what is good and what is bad. Um, but that doesn't tell you necessarily how to fix it. And I'm wondering, you're an analytics uh, aficionado. <laughs> what what could the Blue Jackets look at? Do we have any idea what they, 
if you looked closely at this team DNA wise, what you could find that's not already apparent to you? That's a tough question putting you on the spot, but I'm wondering if there's anything there. I know it's uh, it's interesting. We did talk through um, and and Eric's work um, is still online from before he uh, was hired by the team, and it's at nhlspecialteams.com if people feel so inclined to read up on on his work. But um, <clears throat> as as we talked about it yesterday, I, I think it, and you know, you and I have talked on a bigger scale about analytics as well, is that it's not the end all be all, but there are truisms in it that kind of, it's one of those when you hear someone say something a way that you could never express it, right? Like those are the analytics that make sense when you go, aha, well, of course. Um, right. I think that when we look at what Eric at least had crystallized, which as you mentioned, it was about where did you spend your time in the zone, outside of the zone, on the rush, on the entry, time in formation versus out of formation. If these are anywhere close to what the Blue Jackets are looking at, and we don't know um, because none of this kind of information is publicly available, um, but it is something the Jackets could have um, with their private systems, yeah. is that it's again, as we just went through, matching the personnel to get the number where you want it, right? Like you can't just say rush faster. We want yeah. more time spent on the rush. You can't just say that. You have to find the person who executes the role properly. Um, so that in terms of analytics and again, not knowing what they're tracking, it could be that because I do think, and, and I believe you, you implied this or, or Larson may have implied this is that it's not just about shots. It's not just about where the shots are coming from. Um, it, there are some deeper numbers they're looking at, and I think it has to do with how are they executing their play, who's doing the things they think they should be doing the best. Yeah. And, and that might be, you know, why they'd, they'd start to look at other players if the players they have aren't executing what they want them to execute the best way because they're measuring it, right? Regardless yeah. of if you get the goal, if they're not executing it the way you want, that's when you say, well, who else can? Yeah. And Winberg, when we talked to Winberg the day before camp, he didn't sound like he was like all about playing that front. No. No. I mean, we should never smack a player for his for his frankness. But he was pretty frank. Look, the coaches want me to do it. Yeah. <laughs> it's, you know, hey, I'll do it. Sure. Um, but he sure doesn't sound excited by it. I think I think he likes being out with the puck with the little room there. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what sort of stuff they wheel through. What's the bigger concern for you, Allison, heading into the season for the Blue Jackets? Is it the power play or is it the penalty kill? Hmm. Interesting. I'm, um, I'm just in the spot all day. <laughs> you know, I, it, my my gut tells me it's actually the penalty kill. Yes, um, I agree. Because you know, I and uh, we we keep talking about the Riley Nash edition as being underrated. I agree um, with those who are saying that, um, and he is going to shore up. Um, perhaps the the role that Matt Calvert filled, um, who was obviously excellent on, on the penalty kill. But I feel like, as we just talked about, there are options on the power play. They have a, a depth of player they can kind of cycle through there to figure out what they want. I don't know that I see that as much on the penalty kill side, and that's what concerns me. Right, and I think this might be where the loss of Ian Cole and yes. Jack Johnson has felt the most, because... I don't think you want Wierenski and Jones out there on a first PK unit. Agree. 
because they're going to eat so much time. And then you got Savard who will kill penalties all day long right. and, and smile doing it. <laughs> but who do you put with them? Exactly. Like I, you know, easy to say, well, Nudavara could play up there. Murray could play up there. They could. Um, but should they? Should they? And are they ideal for that? Like there is a, there's a measure of snarl and, and um, heaviness to Johnson and Cole. Different players, but they both brought that sort of edge to their game. Um, the one thing that I've learned, though, in, in covering hockey for 20 years, when I first came into it, I thought the power play was all skill and the penalty kill was all work. Mm. And the one thing that I've learned, if I've learned anything, which is debatable, um, it's that the power play is more work than you realize. Mm -hmm. And the penalty kill is more skill than you realize. Mm. Um, it's not scoring skill, but it's small space, quick decision skill to get the puck out of the zone. You can't just run people over and fire the puck down the ice like a Viking. Right. It requires it requires a at times a soft touch and you see some of the best players who are in distress and they make a small simple play to the open guy and everything's diffused mm -hmm. so i think murray can kill penalties like i don't think it just always takes brute strength and right right me against the world mentality to to do that uh, but, of course, the concern with him is is being healthy. We don't know about Nudovara. I think he did kill some last season. Looked okay. Um, but I think there's some there are some personnel questions on the penalty kill. I'm with you, Allison, that don't that aren't a concern up front on the power play. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, you're not putting Gabe Carlson there yet. Mm -mm. No, probably not. Mm -mm. Um. Right. So, I mean, maybe you do go Seth Jones and Wierenski, but now you're putting those guys up 26, 28 minutes a game. Well, exactly. And, and you know, it, it's it's overall kind of an, an interesting question because we've all talked about and theoretically bought into this idea of the Rovers and the active defense, and that all makes sense. But it if your team moves in that direction strategically, how do you balance it out for the demands of penalty killing, right? Because right. you're always going to have penalty killing. So yes. it's, it's an interesting strategic question when you look at how you build your team. And it's not to say that one can only be an offensive defenseman or one can't be, right? But it's just an interesting question if you move towards this idea of there are some people in, in hockey right now who are saying we don't we shouldn't even call them defensemen anymore, right? That they're backs or they're right. they're something else. It's not even a, a thing to be focused on defense. But yeah. it it's it it begs the question then of where you incorporate in your roster the necessary skill to kill penalties. Where yeah. does that come from? Yeah. And I again I think it's more about your your ability under fire to make the smart little play. For sure. Than it is you know, the old version of what it used to be with the just the six foot five, 250 pound net clearer. Right. Like, I, I don't think that's really ever been applicable necessarily, but it, it certainly isn't now. Right. Um, but I mean, 
my God. I, and I, we've been saying this for, I've been saying this for a number of years. If you, if you acknowledge that your team doesn't have the, the blinding skill of other teams, and that's fine. I'll grant you that. You damn well better have the other stuff. Yeah, for sure. Right. And that typically that other stuff means you're a pretty good team when it comes to penalty killing. Yep. And the Blue Jackets were 25th in the league in the power play last year and 26th in the league in the penalty kill. Now, I'd like to do, and I may do this later today, sort of combine the two numbers Mm -hmm. as a way to see overall which team's special teams were the best or the worst. I have to think Columbus is near the worst, um, which is just wholly unacceptable frankly and yeah. i think the i think that is the one area this year where you say that they could really make ground i mean if you give up if to have a respectable power play it's not a huge difference frankly so let's see if uh washington let's find a better so toronto oh. toronto last year was 11th in the league in penalty killing. They had 225 times shorthanded. Okay. Columbus had 227 times shorthanded. Well, hang on a second. I'm looking at the wrong number. Forgive me. (laughs) Bear with me, caller. Uh, Columbus was shorthanded 214 times. Okay. And they allowed 51 goals. The Torontos were shorthanded 231 times. So more times, 17 more times, and they allowed eight fewer goals. Wow. So we're talking 10 or 12 goals makes a difference. Right. And a significant difference in your standing over the course of 82 games. But if you take 10 goals off the penalty kill and you add 10 to the power play, it's a huge swing. Oh, yeah. It's an enormous swing. And it doesn't feel like a ton. Like, you know, Columbus – Power play wise, the fact that they got to seventeen point two at the end of the season is a it's a damn miracle. <laughs> right, <laughs> I mean, right. It's crazy. That almost represents <clears throat> progress of a of a kind. But to get, I mean, just marginally better, ten more power plays um, gets them into the middle of the pack. I think that is at least um, reasonable. So you you, I don't think a twenty goal swing through special teams is is out of the question, but I think it needs to happen if they're going to elevate even further. Oh, for sure. And I mean, it's the, the goals, I mean, it, it, it crystallizes in the goals, but the ripples of that are huge too, right? Because <laughs> when you, if you prevent 10 fewer goals on the penalty kill, it changes the personnel you can roll out when you're back to even strength. It changes right. the way you're playing on both ends. And and you you mentioned this earlier. It was, can we decline the penalty? It was also, you know, the, we would see it, the impact of a inept power play after yeah. the power play was over, right? So the the ripples that those goals are real things that have a real impact, but the ripples to how that impacts how the team plays outside of the special teams play are huge too. Yeah. And similarly, the power play is is just so intrinsically tired, tied to confidence. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Exactly. It does. It it boosts your numbers when you're on off days looking at your stats. Right. 
It lifts that. Guys come over the <clears throat> boards with a jump in their step because they feel dangerous and they they feel like they can they can do this. Right. I mean, and that that really was. I think there was a time I can't remember what part of the season, but we ran the numbers where all these guys are slumping. All of these guys are slumping, and if if the team, I mean, if you remember Dubinsky, Jenner, Wenberg, um, Felino, all Atkinson, of them, yeah, Atkinson, horrific starts last year, and if you had just applied their power play yep. numbers to that point in the previous season, you go, yep. oh, they're kind of right there, <clears throat> exactly, That's really what it was, um, and it just changes how you come over the boards for your next shift when you score in the power play, changes mm-hmm. everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, so something to watch this season uh, with the mighty Blue Jackets for sure. Allison, anything we need to get to? Anything we need to add here before we wrap up and let the people get on their way? I think we've covered it. Oh, my God. How was the audio? <laughs> I think it sounded fine. Hopefully oh. our listeners experience the same. Uh, we have some audio critiques out there. Um, and do. Yes, and we deserve some of it. Um, but hopefully this one comes through loud and clear. Uh, thanks for listening. Thanks to David Cook for the toe tap and start we get off to every week. The intro music at David Cook Music is his Twitter feed. Hell of a musician. Uh, glad to have him be part of this. And a reminder, if you're listening to this and thinking, geez, these guys are interesting. I'd like to read their work. That, too, is possible. And it comes at a discount for a seven day free trial. And a thirty, I believe it's thirty percent off, maybe forty percent off. Uh, fire up theathletic.com/slash front and nationwide. You get uh, Allison's writing, Tom Reed's writing, my own writing. You get coverage from every team around the the world. Frankly, that the athletic covers. I think we're in thirty eight cities now, and more teams than that. Um, so chances are you'll find something there you like. And, and probably too much of it to read in a single day. <laughs> True. Uh, uh, 1,000 articles published last week. Did you see that? Wow. That's incredible. I mean, across the, <clears throat> the site, obviously not in Blue Jackets land. Sure. Um, but, boy, there's a lot of stuff out there. And the podcasts are picking up, too. So thanks for listening. Uh, we'll talk to you again on Tuesday. We should have some interesting developments by then. And for Allison Lucan, this is Aaron Portsline saying so long, everybody. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.